Um, we have the privilege of having a special guest with us here this morning to speak, which is my mother. Um, and my dad is also here. Dad, why don't you stand up and give a wave? Or just sit and wave. <laughs> um, so we have the privilege of having my mother here to speak to us today. Um, and for the sake of time and wanting to give her the full uh, rest of the service, I'm going to keep it really concise because obviously if it's your mother, your introduction could be really long because I have a lot of history here. Sermon. Yeah, exactly. Um, but really, I mean, other than her pastoring a church and being the founder of Somebody Cares New England, which is a compassion organization, um, and He Cares for Me, which is an inner healing and deliverance um, ministry, like all of those things that she does. I shared at the first service this morning that Jesus in the gospel, he, he basically exhorts the disciples, and he says that the, the Pharisees teach well, and you should follow their teachings, but he ultimately says, don't follow the example of their lives. And he talks about how they want the best seat in the house and how they, all of these things. But he goes on to say that the greatest among you is he, he that's a servant. That, that the person that serves amongst us is the example that we should be following. And they truly are the greatest. So it's not necessarily your credentials and your degrees and all of those things. But it's the example of your life. And if you're modeling the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is that of a servant. And so I can honestly say that although she walks in great authority and she does amazing things, ultimately she really is a servant of the least of these that are amongst her, and she, and she gives herself freely in that way, and her life is such an expression of love. And so, uh, yes, listen to her teaching, but more, in but more importantly, we should follow the example of her life. And so let's learn from her life this morning and invite Pastor Marlene Yo. It's a privilege to be here, and um, I love coming to Hilltop. If I didn't plant a church in Haverhill, I would be here myself. I think this is an awesome church. Um, I want to share with you the power of oneness. I know that you've been doing a series on relationships, and I'm not sure if you're finished with them, if this is in the middle of it. It's in the middle of it. So I want to just kind of tap into that and share with you some very important principles that I think will be helpful to you when, regarding relationships, all kinds. But to start out, I'd like to say this. The devil is terrorized with the fear that we may actually discover who we are and who we are in Christ more importantly, that we will receive revelation of what we're called to do and how each of us fit into a calling that affects each other because it's the body as a whole. The devil knows that once we find out and begin to move in it, the Almighty will transform us and then we will then become a carrier of his presence which will start a revival that will change the world and yes, even use the youngest and weakest among us. So if you think, yeah, oh, pick me, God, because I'm strong, it's amazing how God will bypass people who think that they should be and go to the ones that nobody would think that they would be. Like, Zacchaeus, you come down out of that tree, you wee little man, because I'm going to your house today for dinner. Jesus picked Zacchaeus and told him, come down out of that tree. I'm going to your house today. So he will often pick the ones that think they will not be a good choice and they'll tell God all the reasons they're not a good choice, even like Moses. But God, I said that, 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 and I'm not a good choice. You know, God chooses whom God will choose. He looks at the heart. He doesn't look, as Bethany said, to the credentials. 
He doesn't look at the status or the financial income. He looks at the heart. So God is looking at hearts today and how we respond in relationships determined by what we believe about the importance of those relationships and how we treat those relationships. And it really has a lot to do with us personally. So oneness. God is into oneness. Jesus said, Father, I pray that they'd be one even as you and I are one. Oneness is different than unity, and I'm going to share with you the difference. Unity is the process, but oneness is the product. Unity depends on an event. Oneness transcends an event and knits people together. In unity, people assemble for a common interest, but in oneness, people are integrated for kingdom purpose. Unity is the means. Oneness is the end. Unity is how we should start. Oneness is how we should finish. Unity is built upon encouragement. Oneness is built upon purpose. Unity releases temporary momentum, but oneness creates synergy that maximizes potential. Those are quotes from Joseph Matera. He's an internationally known author and uh, an activist, a theologian, and his mission is to influence leaders who influence nations. So oneness is agreement and peace and concord. Now, I take a special note of interest in the word concord because I live on Concord Street. And I'm like, this is a divine appointment. I know this to be true because it's been spoken by people that know the spirit of the Lord. So living on Concord Street, I say, you know what, God, you've sent me to the city of Haverhill as a minister of peace to bring oneness to see the heart of the Father come to a people that are not looking for him and a heart of the people that need to know that they're loved. And so God sent me as a prayer, compassion missionary to the city of Haverhill, planted me on Concord Street and said, now I'm going to use this weak little lady to bring some oneness. So there's a spiritual battle when you've been a sent one. And that spiritual battle isn't because you're cute or pretty or handsome or smart. That spiritual battle is because you have a call on your life to be a vessel of oneness with the Father and demonstrating oneness in the body of Christ. Because the devil hates oneness. Jesus prayed, Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. So conquered means harmony, covenant. And in music, it means stable, harmonious combination of tones. It's beautiful when that happens. Amen? (laughs) Hey, you were sitting over here last time. (laughs) All right. God desires oneness. As I said, Jesus prayed for it between God and man and between man and man. John 17, he prayed not only for these that were with him, but all that would believe in him, that they would have oneness. God wants to bring oneness between men and women to work together in the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 3 says, become complete. You're not complete without both genders. We complete the body of Christ. We're complete when we have oneness in the body of Christ. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Between husband and wife, Ephesians chapter 5, 30 through 33. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, 
and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. The church is one with Christ. We are one with him, in him, in the Father. And in marriage, it's a type and a shadow of Christ and the church. The church should reflect that mystery, and marriage should be a demonstration in the natural to the world. But unfortunately, in the state of marriages, especially in America, I'll speak, it doesn't demonstrate that. We don't see oneness in the church, but this is Jesus' prayer, and I can promise you God always answers Jesus' prayer. It will happen with those that are willing. And then not only husband and wife, but between parents and children that there'd be oneness. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So there it is, children, honor your parents, but also fathers, don't suppress and make your children angry through harsh discipline, making sure that they are understanding God's love through it all. Between members in the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 says, there should be no schism in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another, and if one member suffers, all members suffer with it, and if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So the word schism means offense causing division. I've been in ministry for almost 41 years. And I will tell you, I think the greatest difficulty is having Christians understand the importance of forgiveness. And how many times, if I had a dollar for every Christian that said, but you don't understand what happened to me. I don't need to understand what happened to you. I know what the Bible says. It's a commandment. We cannot argue before God Almighty that his commandments are not true or that we have an excuse of not to obey them. So the schism, the division, the offense that happens in the body of Christ is an offense to God. Because we're not being one with him in, in truth, and we're not being one with one another. It's interesting to note how many people bounce from church to church once they get offended. And they call it the Lord leading them somewhere else. When in reality, the Lord is leading them to speak the truth and love one to another that they may grow up. <laughs> Somehow we just don't like growing up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. I don't want to grow up. <laughs> So we just feel led by God. Let me tell you, God ain't leading you. That is the devil leading you because the devil hates oneness. And you know what I love? I love how people say, well, you know what? I've tried telling the truth and love to that person and it just doesn't work because they just don't listen. Oh, so you're excused from truth because somebody else doesn't listen. See, we have a responsibility to speak, not harsh, judgmental criticism, but to speak the truth in love and to word it in such a way as... When you speak to me in that tone of voice, it hurts my feelings, and I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't do that. Or when you look at me with that angry look, it makes me feel very judged and condemned, and I'm not sure I feel comfortable with that. Can you tell me why you're looking at me like that? And people are like, I ain't saying nothing. <laughs> you kidding me? That would just blow up. We'd have another war. 
The reality is we excuse our own obedience by other people's responses and reactions. And so we don't grow up in our emotions. So the next church we go to or the next relationship we go to or the next place that we go to work, we're experiencing the same thing over again. And now we feel led to move again. Jesus, help us. We need to grow up. No more offense causing division. And then between the young and the old, Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. I was a youth minister for 10 years, and that's actually how I got to meet my son-in-law, Daryl. And in ministry, I realized how many adults have a mindset that somehow they can talk to children and young people differently than they do an adult. Demeaning, sarcasm, cruelty, harsh, insulting. And it, it, just, it doesn't cut it in the kingdom. God made it clear when the disciples said, take all the kids and get them out of the way. We got business to do. Jesus says, uh-uh, bring the kids right here. This is what the kingdom of heaven's like. You make one of these little ones stumble, be better for you if there was a millstone hung around your neck and you were cast into the deep. Don't mess with God's little ones because he honors them and we are to do likewise. And so we have to be very careful of, you know, bringing together what we call that generation gap and making sure that we're honoring. And, you know, young people will learn honor if they're given respect. They will learn to respect and honor if they're given respect. And if we honor them as the weaker. All right, so between young and old and also the last and not the least, but between nations, God wants oneness. Ephesians 2, 17 through 19. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. We are one family, the human race, with many nationalities. We are one people in the eyes of God. He made every color and every nation, and they are to give him glory and honor. And when we honor others from other nations, and we bless them, and we receive them, because the scripture says to us, remember, you were once a foreigner and alienated from where you came from. And so be kind to those who are from other nations and to care for them. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a license for others to break laws. It simply means that our heart attitude of respect and kindness and care toward them. I remember after traveling overseas and coming back to America, going through customs and seeing this precious, I imagine by her accent that she was Italian, but anyway, she, and she's trying to explain to the, you know, the, 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 the uh, people in customs that she was going through speaking Italian. And they were trying to help her and find someone that could translate. And I felt my heart was broken for her. I thought, Lord, she's away from everything and everybody that she knows in a country she doesn't know. And I prayed that she would be cared for with kindness and patience and love. If we would just stop for a minute and think, if you were taken from everything that you know and put in a land that you didn't know the language and you didn't know anything, how would you want to be treated? And this is how we should treat others. Galatians 
says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. We are all one in Christ. But in our relationships, we have many different aspects of relationships that we respond to differently. So in different relationships, we have different personality types and how they will respond. I want to look at four basic human responses in relationships. The first one is the aggressive kind of temperament, relationship, relationally. And they approach things in a very different way than others. And you might describe them as being angry or prideful or stubborn or competitive and controlling, rebellious. Uh, We find these kind of personality traits in what the Bible refers to as the spirit of Jezebel. Because of their insecurity and fear, they need to be in control of everything and everyone. They perpetually distance themselves and others in relationships. They're often the major contributor to abuse and violence. And at the core of their behavior, they really believe, I can only be happy when you lose and I win. I'm right and you're wrong. No show of hands. How many of you have people like that in your family? (laughs) Like I said, no show of hands. All right. So basically that temperament, what happens is an aggressive kind of, they respond in relationships very aggressively. We, other temperaments, would tend to be passive and try to stay away from those kind of temperaments, whether it's at work or in the family or at school or wherever it may be. But the passive temperament or the passive responses in relationships are not healthy either because passive people are generally fearful. They're suppressed. They're spiritually and emotionally barren, kind of like an Ahab spirit. They listen to and believe and submit to the lies of the wicked one. They whine and complain as a victim with no control over their own life's choices. They are victims of strong personalities and rely on others who are powerful personalities to be their voice. So those that are passive are looking for someone that's like an aggressive temperament to be their mouthpiece, but then they resent the oppression that comes from the aggressive temperament, and then they're in conflict. And then in relationships, we have the passive-aggressive, which I call the bipolar people, because they both have both ends of the spectrum. They're, and they're not really bipolar. I just use that as, a, as an exp- explanation of two opposite extremes, okay? When I use the word bipolar, I'm not speaking about people that are mentally ill. Just the, the two opposite extremes. Um, they're emotionally weak, confused, and suppressed aggression that implodes without notice, causing pain to others through silence and outbursts of rage, usually found in, like, Peter, in the Bible. So Peter's the one at the little coal fire with that little handmaiden, and they say, look, he's one of them. And he's like, I am not one. Scared out of his mind in front of a little girl. Scared of a girl. Yeah. Anyway, so then, <laughs> so then you find Peter in the garden, and he's all of a sudden all bold with his sword and whoosh, off with your ear. So he flips. So this is what I'm talking about, passive-aggressive. You never know what you're going to get out of those people. (laughs) But then there's assertive. Now, assertive people are confident, brave, proactive, direct strength, wrapped in humility, does what is best for the kingdom, and has the spirit of Jesus. 
That's where we all need to have a goal in life to become Christ-like. And they know whose they are. They know who they are. They know why they're here. They know where they're going. And they know how to get there. And usually those are accused of being arrogant, when in reality, it's confidence, but with humility. So in that assertive way of responding in our relationships, speaking the truth in love, if you want to know a little bit more about some very cool tools to be able to do that, the author Stephen Covey, he wrote a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I highly recommend it if you want to be effective. Because he uses biblical principles to teach you about relationships that will help you to understand yourself and help you to understand others as well. In over the 41 years that I've been a Christian and dealing with people in ministry and dealing with the body of Christ, I have not come across, and I can say this absolutely truthfully, I've not come across one person that I have personally ministered to that has not been wounded by someone in authority, whether it's a parental authority a school teacher, a policeman, a judge, anybody that's in authority. There is, there are, because there are good authorities and there are bad authorities. And so what happens is people will make a judgment call because they've had an experience with someone in authority and had a bad experience. And that bad experience has now jaded them to see everybody like that bad experience through that temperament. So what happens is this, if you had a harsh father, as a female, you may end up saying statements like, I can't stand men, and I don't have any use for men. Or if you're a son, and you've had a harsh mother, and your mother was one that was very difficult to manage, and not manage, but to manage emotionally, and find yourself saying, I have no use for women. All women just want is your money, or all women just want to do is control you. So what happens is you, you become jaded and have a mindset about authority based on the people in your life that you experience negative emotions with. And so what happens is it jades you. All of a sudden, all cops are bad, and all judges are crooked, and all lawyers are no good. And now what happens is you're in an offended state, and you're going to suffer emotionally and spiritually because you have judgments about people that are in authority. And then it carries over into the church. Because if you were hurt by a, a former church member or a former pastor that you are under, and all of a sudden you can't trust any church people, and you can't trust any pastors, and they're all crooked, and they're all this and all that, you become so jaded that you yourself end up having difficulty emotionally, relationally with other people that are in authority or people that are in church. There are millions of people who will never use their influence for good or bad. They just want to be neutral. Don't, don't bother me and I won't bother you. Don't touch my stuff and nobody will get hurt. Just back up. Leave me alone. I'm an island unto myself. I like it that way. I have conversations with myself and I get along with myself just great. And you'll see the emotional brokenness in people when you just try to bring out a different angle of a different facet of truth. Because there are two sides to truth. And you can see people's emotional brokenness because they can't handle to hear a different opinion. You just talk to a Republican about the Democrats. You can see it happen. You just talk about you know, any, kind of, any kind of issue that's going on in the world today. You talk about it, and you watch people get all flared up. You know why? Because emotionally, they can't handle another side because they're not strong enough. So don't, don't hash on them. Let them be. Pray for them. You, we should be able to hear truth 
and be able to discuss truth according to our perceptions. And you know, I tell people this all the time. We have perceptions of the truth, but our perceptions do change. I remember using this example, and it, and it serves really well right now, that when um, parents will you know, talk to their children about Santa Claus, and children have this expectation that this big, fat, jolly man's going to come down the chimney and eat his cookies that he left out there. What happens is you turn to be about 21 years old, and you're married now, and you've got kids. All of a sudden, you figured out who Santa is. Your perception's changed, right? He gets all the credit, and you get the bill. So what happens is, and then you grow up to be a grandparent, and your perception of Santa changes again. Woohoo! Limits off. Everything goes at grandma's. You know what I mean? So you have these different stages of life, and your perception changes, right? So the same is true in growing up in Christ. There are some scripture verses that you will bank your life on, and you've got it figured out, and you know what it means. And then all of a sudden, you grow and mature a little bit, and you're like, oh, boy. Wow, I can't believe I used to believe that. You know what I'm saying? Because it's going to change. So don't be so dogmatic and listen to what other perspectives are to help you to grow. And you know what? If that other perspective, you've tried it and tested it according to the word of God and you've tried it and you found it not to be true, don't worry about the other people. You can't fix them, but you speak the truth in love and be kind and don't debate and don't argue with people because you can't get there from here. There's no bridge. Only the Holy Spirit can give revelation. And the Bible says, don't argue and debate and get all caught up in stuff. Speak it, leave it, and let God. Amen? So relationally, we want to preserve relationships as much as possible, as much as it depends on us that we will walk in peace. Every human has the potential to become a perpetrator of fear and anxiety, depression and anger, rage and violence as victims of abuse and injustice. And we have a choice that we can either be agents of healing or agents of fear. We have that choice, but you can only bring fear to its knees when you've conquered fear in your own life. Otherwise, when people start talking about the last days and the end of the world, and you got fear in your heart, you're like, I know, right? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, get us out of here. And so what happens is fear and fear can't help each other. There has to be faith to counteract fear. There has to be a different spirit. So as people are sharing their depression or their anxiety, and you have depression and anxiety, you offer them no help and no hope because you don't have a testimony. So what it should do is provoke us to step in to another level of healing and wholeness. And if you're interested in a lot more information, I do have the book that I've written, uh, one of my books that I've written here, and it's called He Cares for Me. And it's all about healing and deliverance. And as you're healed and you're delivered and you're made whole, your relationships will start to see the results of that beginning in the home and in the family and in the church and in the world. In, um, I love uh, Edmund Burke, um, his quote. He's an Irish political philosopher, and he's famous for this one quote. All it takes for evil to triumph is for good men to do nada. Do nothing. Do nothing about your own condition of your own heart. Do nothing about the condition that's in your family. Do nothing about the condition that's in the world. Just que sera, sera. What will be, will be. I won't bother them if they don't bother me. God has put us here on the earth to be ambassadors of Christ, to be agents of change and vessels of revival. And in order for us to come to that place, we ourselves have got to get this relational thing down 
Because who else is going to other than the church? Our model is Christ, the best model in the whole world as far as eternity. So if he is our model how to handle relationships and how to speak the truth in love, then we need to learn from him how to become a vessel that speaks the truth in love, that's been healed, that learns about spiritual authority from him. Galatians 5.13 says, um, 5.13 through 15, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Humanity is still using the oldest blame game in the world. The man's still blaming the woman, and the woman's still blaming the devil. It's the oldest blame game in the world. Everybody has a reason why they're not doing what they know they need to do, and it's because of somebody else. And looking at that relationally is a dead end. It will never help your relationships to go beyond. It's time for us as individuals to start saying, what is it in my heart that God's after? What is it in me that needs to be made whole? What is it that my responses to people seem to always produce the same results in my relationships? I'm tired of it, and I want to change. And no one else has the power to change that but me in Christ. That's the only way to do it. So as I become more one with Christ, I can have healthier relationships in my life because I'm working on me, the only one that I can change. Amen? All right, so in making reference to this spirit of Jezebel, I want to just kind of diffuse it a little bit because a lot of times that word is thrown around, especially in church, toward women who have a strong call on their life. And so for women, I would like to say this. I, too, understanding, and my daughter Bethany, as you've noticed, she's no (laughs) mamby-pamby. She's a pretty strong girl. Um, strong women submitted to authority, respecting authority, understanding authority, God can use in a powerful way. There's a book by Ed uh, Ed Silvoser, and it's called Women, God's Secret Weapon. And it's all about how men have the ability to be able to help women step into their gift and calling and not being threatened or intimidated by their strength. Because together God called them to rule and reign, together. And in the last hour of the church, and I don't mean like literally 60 minutes, but in the last days of the church, there will be a coming together of kingdom relationships of men and women that will understand oneness with Christ and be able to be used by God to establish together kingdom authority and rule and reign. Because that is what the Lord's doing in the church today. But we need to be very careful that we're not submitting to a spirit of manipulation and control. And we understand the difference between what is the operation of the flesh that allows that spirit of control and intimidation versus the spirit of the Lord and submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord and understanding his oneness is for the kingdom. Jezebel likes to appear close to leaders. The spirit loves to find its way into the church and try to um, undermine what God is doing in a church that is crying out for revival. Let me just tell you, there's a target on your back because you cry out for revival. The enemy will 
use any person that's broken in their, in their soul and wounded in their soul to try to bring division and discord among the body. And we have to use wisdom. We love the person, but we confront the spirit. And if that spirit is still in operation in us and we have fear and intimidation, we'll never confront it and we'll never be able to overcome it. Jesus was very clear in revelations to the, the church of Thyatira. He said, if you allow that spirit to rule and reign, it will kill your children and you will become sick. So if you look at our nation, sickness is rampant and our children are killing each other and killing themselves. When we tolerate the spirit, we are actually allowing it to have access and control in our hearts and minds. If you think about the statistics of even godly men that have been taken captive by pornography, that is the spirit of Jezebel at work. When you think about the, the, the outcry for the human life and how women think that my body is my body, they don't even acknowledge that God gave woman body to bring forth life. We think that we're the creator of life. He's the creator of life. Life belongs to him. The life is in the blood. It's in Christ. And so we have a responsibility to answer before God what we do with our bodies. The Bible's very clear that we will give an account for what we did, the deeds in our flesh. And so yet you can see people crying out saying, I have the right to do whatever I want. And in reality, God gives you the right, but you will suffer the consequences for choosing those things that are contrary and opposite to what the word of God states clearly. So in our culture, you can see the spirit of Jezebel that's at work. In relationships, you can see it in our schools, all over, in our Holly, uh, uh, the entertainment that's coming out of Hollywood and even in the church. Jezebel often manifests within the spiritually gifted and most mature. They work to get close to the pastor and leaders using flattery and manipulation with spiritual, spirituality of deep truths. If a godly leader discerns this spirit at work and opposes the spirit, they are in for the fight of their life. This spirit will try to come to cause you to be depressed and to be oppressed and to think that you just want to quit. You just want to quit the ministry. You want to quit church. You just want to quit because it's just too hard. And I'm here to tell you, keep on keeping on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and press in past those oppositions and you will see yourself stepping into the destiny of what God's called you in this life. And you want to stand before him on that day unashamed saying, Lord, I said yes to the call and I obeyed you. And the scripture is very clear. Those that rule and reign over that spirit that opposes the antichrist spirit, they will be given uh, authority over nations, authority over nations. So as we close out this morning, I just want to say this, that it's time. It's time for the church to understand that your relationships are not the problem. There are spiritual entities that are at work in relationships that are trying to drive division and discord in relationships that are key for kingdom business. And so I just want to close with a word of prayer for all of you. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear. What the Spirit of the Lord is saying in the church in this hour, it's time to be discerning and not to believe the lies of the enemy, not to submit to the culture of this world, but to be of a different spirit, not to fight with eye for eye and tooth for tooth, not to fight hatred with hatred, but God, that we would come in a different spirit and we would see the truth of what manner of spirit that we're warring against in this hour. 
And God, as we come into oneness with you, and we understand oneness in the body of Christ, it is that place in oneness of covenant and agreement that we agree on those things that matter pertaining to kingdom. And as we stand together in one accord, and as we stand together in Christ, in faith, in the word of God, with the authority that you've given us to pull down strongholds and imaginations and every high thing that's exalted itself above the knowledge of God. And we bring every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. For Lord, you're raising up an army, an army that understands authority and an army that understands that we had to cover one another and stand back to back and cover each other's backs. Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you raise up that company of people that understand spiritual business and spiritual kingdom authority and that, God, that we will recognize that we are your ambassadors and that we have been raised up in this hour for such a time as this and that our weapons of warfare aren't carnal and that our people are not our problem that spiritual powers and high places and wickedness, God, that are ruling and reigning, that we'll have discernment and wisdom. And that most importantly, Lord, that we will pick up the weapon of love. And we will love those that oppose us. We will love those, God, that say all manner of evil against us. We will love and bless and forgive those. And we will not pick up hatred and we will not pick up those things, God, that this world picks up to fight with. But God, that we would fight on our knees and we would fight from a place of purity in our own hearts. Wash us and cleanse us, Lord, from the spiritual toxins that we have allowed to creep into our heart that's caused us to be jaded. Forgive us, God, for entertaining and tolerating the spirit of Jezebel in our life. And God, may we begin to rise up and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Bless these beautiful ones, God that you have given an opportunity to say yes to the call of God. To be a voice and to see the manifest presence of Almighty God demonstrated in the earth once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, you can-